It's very good to be with you this morning. It's especially cool to have my parents down from KZN. I always like to just honor them, and uh, I'd like you to honor them because I just get to spoil them with some applause every time they pitch up. So do that now. So any of the bad stuff about me, you can blame them. So now's your moment. They don't, they don't visit very often. But if you're annoyed with how I behave, now's your gap to go and complain to them and the work they did with me. <laughs> so um, this lovely passage of Scripture talks about Moses and how he's been leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. We've been tracking this journey. It's a fast-paced look through the book of Exodus, but they've got themselves to an interesting place right now, whereby they have exited Egypt. They have seen miracle upon miracle, eventually sort of climaxed and passing through the Red Sea, and now they're on the other side. Is is the sound as weird for you as it is for me? All fine. Some people are nodding, some are shaking. They're not too fussy. So what we got is we've got the people of Israel who've now entered. They've entered into the new version, the new normal. (laughs) They were in Egypt. They were preparing themselves for the new normal. And now they're into a kind of new normal. And they're trying to work out what is this actually going to look like? What is it going to be like? And one of the important things that God starts with is he starts to train Moses on how to lead. What does it actually look like? To lead. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you hear the word leadership, what comes up in your mind? What do you think? What uh, jumps to mind when you hear the word leadership? My, my experience of leadership is that there's generally two poles that are usually uh, where most people land. The one pole is people think, you know what? Leadership is gross. It's bad. Uh, People are allergic to leadership. It's quite a common notion in our generation whereby people uh, look at kind of an expressive individualism, look at our world and say, you know what? I am about myself. I do me. You do you. And we get to express ourselves however we choose. No leader gets to lead me and tell me what to do and how to live. I am my own leader. The primary leader over my life or your life is me and it's you. And so leadership is a kind of uh, interesting term. It's a difficult term for some people. They think of it as gross and negative, and there's a sort of allergic reaction to leadership. I don't know if that's you. I think in some contexts it is. Maybe you think politically, and you go, you know what, how negative leadership can be in the political context, and you go, I don't like leadership when it comes to certain experiences that maybe some of us have had. On the other hand... Some people look at leadership, and it's a kind of God. It's not gross. It's a God. You look at all the the rows of leadership books in a book uh, store, and you go, some people think that leadership is going to change the world. If we just had more and better leaders, the world would be a different place. And we believe so intensely that leadership is the way that the world will be changed. It's like some people believe in education to change the world. Other people believe in leadership. And you just read far and wide and you get all the best Patrick Lencioni's and all these guys, uh, Maxwell, and you read as much as you can to learn about leadership because leadership will change the world. Some people see leadership as a kind of God that will fix everything, that will sort everything out. I don't know where you stand. Maybe you somewhere in between, depending on where you find yourself or which environment. 
the one challenge for all of us when it comes to leadership is that it's inevitable. You can't escape it. From the moment you walked onto the playground at three years old, leadership happened. Whether it was uh, Jimmy deciding that the best idea is to pick your nose and flick it on people or whatever else it may be, there is a person who influences people and says, we're going there and people follow. Sometimes it's for good, sometimes it's for bad. Whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the home, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a business, whether it's in friendship circles, just leadership keeps on happening. It never stops. It's an unstoppable thing. The question is, is what will it be like? And will it be a decent experience for people? You even go into places where, you know, there has been no leadership and human beings form themselves around leaders. Have you ever seen a gang without a leader? You can't. That doesn't exist. It's impossible. It will fall apart. Everything forms itself around a kind of leadership. It's my conviction that leadership can and should be a gift. Not gross, not God, but a gift. A gift from God. A gift that is given by God to be able to bring flourishing and order to the world. And that all of us actually are leaders in one degree or another. Whether it's in our home, in our friendships, in our businesses, in the classroom, wherever we find ourselves, we actually have a leadership role. And our apathy can often hurt what could be happening. And the people of Israel are in a very fascinating space right now because God has called them out of Egypt, but now they're looking ahead at this new future. They're looking ahead at a new way to live, and they're about to get the Ten Commandments. They're about to get told how to live and why they're going to live this way. And one of the interesting things that's happening here is that what's happening is, remember there's Eden, Genesis chapter 1, where humankind were given this mandate to bring the image of God to the world and cause flourishing and to take the mandate that God had given them and to image God to humanity, to image God to the world so that the world flourishes. And the mandate was missed. Adam and Eve decided to go their own way and things began to fall apart. And so God begins his rebuilding process. And this time he says, you know what? I'm not just going to use a person. I'm going to use a people. And I'm going to give them some commands. And I'm going to coach them. And I am going to lead them so that they can once again bring the image of God back to the world to show who God is, what he's like, and to reveal how God is, who he is. What is this God? And that's the journey. And so we're sandwiched between them seeing God, the God who is the deliverer, and about to receive the commands, the Ten Commands, which is going to become a kind of covenant uh, agreement between God's people and, the, uh, and God. And they're going to make some agreements with God so that they can cause flourishing in the world. And by the way, these Ten Commandments, you might look at them and go, wow, those are ancient. Those, some of them seem a bit outdated. Really? But in the day, those were world-changing. Those were bringing about, those were changing the world around the dignity of human life. Those were bringing about such change around the dignity of men and women and and how to uh, sexual ethics. This was so radically different because the people of Israel were to be an image bearer to the world and represent to the world who God is to a world that just had no idea. 
And so these, these rules that they're getting are so progressive. But God is sandwiching this moment. He gives a kind of leadership masterclass to Moses and to the people because he realizes, just like I've said, leadership is inevitable. You can't escape it. It's going to happen. You're going to walk out of this place, and there's going to be leadership. There's going to be people influencing each other towards something. And he's going, I want to teach you how to ensure that leadership is healthy. So I want to suggest for the next little while how God leads and then how God uses people to lead. So first part, how does God lead? And really the best way to describe this as you look at the journey of Exodus is you see that God leads by his word and he leads by his spirit. He leads by his word and he leads by his spirit. You'll pick this up throughout the journey of Exodus. Here you'll see so often that God speaks to Moses. He speaks to him through his word. In chapter 19, we're about to see, he's going to get some commands. Those commands are God's way of creating a kind of scaffolding for humanity. He's going to teach them not to steal. He's going to teach them how to love one another. He's going to teach them how to worship. And they're going to put these scaffolding around the building that they're building of what it means to be human. The words of God are a kind of scaffolding. And God is going to guide them by providing. And really what is happening at this stage is that God is building up a canon of Scripture called God's words. The way that God works creates a kind of scaffolding in the world. I don't know what your relationship is like with God's word, with scripture. I don't know how you view it, but really the scriptures are God's gift to create a scaffolding so that he can build you into the kind of person that images him, that sets you apart so that you can know what he's like and you can live into his promises so that you can also be led by his spirit. You see, it's like two pedals on a bicycle. God leads you by his word, and he leads you by his spirit. Where do I get that in Exodus? Well, have you been reading along with us? Notice how as they came through the Red Sea, they came out on the other side. There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This represented God leading by his spirit. He didn't just give them a body of truth that they needed to sort of yes, sir, to. He also gave them his spirit, and it says that when the cloud took them one way, they went. When the cloud took them the next way, they went, and they moved with God's spirit. And you know what? They always knew that God would always move them within what was accurate to his scriptures, to his commands. So this is how God has always worked in the world and how he's going to continue to work in our lives, by his word and by his spirit. Sometimes in your life, you go, how do I know this is God's spirit? How can I trust that God is actually saying this? You know, we've heard so many people say, God told me, and God said this, and next thing you know, this cult has started based on what somebody says, God said. Well, I think the scaffolding could be quite a nice uh, way of understanding it. You see, if scripture is scaffolding, then you can never expect something to be built outside of the scaffolding that's already been set up. So if the scripture says, hey, God loves people who don't yet know him, then you shouldn't be surprised when the spirit leads you to go and encourages you to go love people who don't yet know him, right? No surprises. It fits within the scaffolding of the, the given word of God in scripture. And I think this is such a good thing, a good way to understand it. But We shouldn't be surprised when God wants to both lead us by his word and create a body of truth, a scaffolding for human flourishing, 
but also wants to lead us by his spirit. I think of, uh, it was about 10 years ago, and uh, Taryn and Julie, probably longer, maybe 12, and Taryn and Julie, friends of ours, were, uh, we had one congregation we had planted into the city, and uh, they started feeling a sense of the Spirit leading them to potentially go start another congregation. And so what they did was they uh, brought it to us as a kind of team of leaders, and they said, guys, we feel like God might be calling us to go lead something, probably down in the south. So we, uh, you know, south as in Constantia, Berg area, and so we all got together and we prayed. And while we're praying, like, you know, you've always got things. I'm a distractible person. One day I'm thinking about, you know, what I've got to do tomorrow. Next thing I'm thinking about my sore leg and feel so ungodly as a person in a prayer moment. I'm like, what is going on? But as I'm thinking these thoughts and I'm listening to these people praying, this word just pops into my brain. It's like everything is black and white in my head until some things just turn into color. It's like everything's 2D and sometimes something pops into 3D. It feels like this is, this is more significant. So I say to the guys, I feel like this word range just... It's, and, and I try to give some spiritual application. I'm like, there's going to be a wide range of people that are going to pitch up. But anyway, all I say is I feel this word range just keeps popping into my head. So everyone's writing down the sense of what the Spirit might be saying. And by the end of that prayer meeting, it's like these guys are going. We're convinced it's a good thing in God to send them, set them apart, start this new congregation, Common Ground Church, Constantiaburg. They go searching for a venue. And they just don't know where to look. Finding a church venue is tricky. It's one of the hardest things when you start planting a church. I'll tell you another story just now. And uh, I can hear myself breathing. <laughs> don't know what's going on here. It's abnormal. Um, and uh, what, what, what happens is Taryn and Julie and this team start searching and they're looking around and... They find these two spaces. I can't remember what the other name of the space was. But as they drive into this one spot, lo and behold, it says on the side of the wall, the range. And they drive in. And as they drive in, they just go, this sounds familiar. They drive in. They have some chats with this person who manages the range. And they drive out going, this is our spot. We know this is ours. And they've got this faith to connect with the owner of the place who uh, was doing markets and all sorts of other things. It's this gorgeous space that they met in for probably seven or eight years. And once they moved in, they knew they had faith to really ask. Why? Because they'd heard the word range. It was some sense like range. Yes, range. Cool. And for seven or eight years, they have lived in that beautiful space and it served them so well. But God leads by his spirit, and we should anticipate that he does that. Are humans always accurate? Do we always know how God leads by his spirit? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Should we keep trusting God to lead by his spirit? Yes, of course, because we're living under the scaffolding, the safety of God's word. We live under that as our primary place in which we find our safety. I think of how we, um, end of 2019, I found myself writing in my journal because we're looking at Tableview High School, another church building story, but that's just the ones I chose today. And it's 2019, end of the year, and I'm going, God, 
I just suddenly feel the sense of I've been really grateful. We as a team have been so grateful to meet in Tableview High School in their sports auditorium. Sure, the sound isn't great. Sure, we're lugging up sound equipment from the container through two flights of stairs. And yeah, sure, it's tricky. But we have been grateful and we've stewarded this thing. But somewhere in my, my heart of faith, I go, God, I think there's a change coming. I'm trusting you for something. And then I write down in my journal, and I feel like God say, trust me, I have something for you. And then just this one word pops up again, a campus. So I write that down, and I still have it in my journal. I can prove it to those skeptics of you. And I close the book. That very afternoon, I get a message from a friend saying, hey, just to let you know that I think the church that are meeting in Elkana are looking to move out. I'm like, that's a campus. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. So I message the school. I message Michelle. I go, hey, Michelle, just interested. Is anything changing with regards to people using the auditorium? Nothing. Oh, okay. False information. And she did say, but if anything changes, you'll be the first to know. Cool. Six weeks later, I remind God. I say, God, this campus. You said that we'd maybe get a campus. Maybe it's for 10 years' time. That same day that I get to be in my bonnet and start grumbling, which is unbiblical, but I start saying, God, I think there's something in this, I get a call from Michelle. We've got the space. It's opened up to you. Yes, they are leaving, and you can have it. And it's for the same price that we were paying at Tableview High School. Wow. God leads by his spirit. He does. He gives you faith. And it's difficult sometimes to discern and to know, but we should anticipate that God does lead by his spirit and he leads by his word. What we're doing now is we're going through the scriptures because we're setting up scaffolding for what we should expect God to do in our lives. But here's a mystery. The second part is this, is that God doesn't just lead by his word and his spirit. He also mysteriously and sometimes astonishingly He leads through people. He leads through people. And this is the one that I struggle to understand the most. Why us? Why? We're so fragile. We make so many mistakes. And why does God not just sometimes just lead primarily just through his spirit and fix it all? And I think Augustine says it best when he says it like this. He says, without God, we cannot. But without us, he will not. God, for whatever mysterious reason, has bound himself to human instrumentality. And I wish I could explain it. All I know is that it's true. That the scriptures teach that whether you're in a classroom or a playground or a church, he uses people to lead and influence other people. And he calls us to do it in a way that honors him. And so I want to suggest four ways that we as people, we as leaders, I'll talk about church, I'll try to make it feel applicable for your own life, but that we can ensure that leadership is a gift to those around us and that people don't go, this is gross, or hey, leadership is God. No, it's a gift to those around us. First way that leadership remains a gift as people lead is that making sure that leaders live and lead under authority. Notice how Moses in this story is open to his father-in-law Jethro coming in, seeing that Moses' God, the God of uh, the Israelites, is the true God. Jethro comes to a kind of saving moment. He goes, wow, your God is amazing. 
Then Jethro looks at the way that Moses is leading, and basically Moses is trying to solve all the problems all by himself, and Moses has a kind of Messiah complex, and Jethro goes, this is going to put you down. This is going to burn you out. And Moses submits to Jethro, his father-in-law's authority, and he goes, that makes sense, and simply listens he opens himself up to another authority. Of course, the greatest authority in Moses' life is God himself. Moses is not over God. He might have moments where he disagrees or argues with God or is scared of what God says. But Moses is a beautiful example of a man under authority. There should never be a leader in any position who isn't under authority him or herself. There should never be a person who sits in a position and goes, I am only in authority. So we as a, as a church, we try our best to make sure we model this. And I hope that you do in all your situations. As an eldership team, I get to kind of play a first among equals to lead the team. But there is nothing that is off bounds for my elders to challenge me on, to push back on, to ensure that we are making, uh, being humble and honest to the scaffolding of God's word. We will never go beyond it. And there is nothing in our personal lives, there's nothing in our theological lives that we can't and won't push back on if we can't see it in God. And we've had lots of moments like that. I've tried my best to cast a compelling vision or to say where we think I think we should go, and suddenly the elders go, I don't know if I see it that way. Oh, handbrake, slow down, let's listen, let's talk, let's make sure that we're on the same page and, and, and making sure that we're submitted to one another. It's not a case of one person is over, but actually we're all under each other's authority, albeit that we've joyfully committed to saying, hey, one person, lead us and take us where we think we need to go. But don't ever think that you're not under God's authority. You're not under a sense of accountability amongst the team. It's the same with your life group leaders. They're all set in communities who have a leader who keeps every single person uh, uh, kind of accountable to the kind of lives they're leading, to the kind of expectations they should have. Does it make sense? I hope it makes you feel safe. But it should also be true in our own lives, and we'll talk a bit about that. I don't know about you, but Jethro coming in, Moses has just done some radical stuff. Just put your mind in Moses' shoes for a bit. He's taken them out of Egypt. His staff has caused all kinds of plagues. He's, you know, he's split his sea in half. And now his father-in-law, of all people, comes in, and he starts to coach him on how to do stuff. That's quite humbling. That's pretty humbling. Just imagine. And it doesn't seem like there's much. He's quite new to faith as well. So he's going like... Moses, I just want to give you a few tweaks on how you're doing life. Let's just, just fix this and that. And it's like, a, you know, walking through the house and going, you've got a few cracks on the wall there, son. Let's just sort that stuff out. Next time I come, I want this better, you know. But Moses sucks it up. He takes the humble pie and he says, what you're saying is right. I think about parenting. How open are we to some people saying, hey, I think you could tweak that. Hey, what about thinking about the way that you parent? What about thinking about the way that you work with your finances? What about considering this? How open are we to listening in to other wisdom of how we could live? Now I've got silence. <laughs> because when the rubber hits the road, it's an openness to hear from others, to go, I am not the full package, and they're called blind spots because I can't see them. 
And I have blind spots and you have blind spots. And in the safety of community, we should anticipate that we have a few blind spots that loving community could help us through, could coach us into, friends and family. And by the way, we never live in a model of, of church leadership where we say you need permission to do anything. It's just not a permission-seeking model. We can't see it in the scriptures. But we do see a perspective-seeking model. We do see that in the scriptures, there is a wisdom about asking for perspective. And it's my experience over 15 years of pastoring that the people who ask for perspective more often are the ones who need it less and the ones who live flourishing the most. How did you do that in your parenting? How do you work out your finances? How do you do that in your singleness? What about this issue of sexuality? Teach me. Help me to understand this. And as people open up their lives and ask for input, you get perspective that broadens your base for flourishing. Okay, the first one was the longest. I'll go through the next ones a bit quicker. But here's the thing. Leaders, human beings living under authority is a healthy space to live. Of course, our primary authority being God. Secondly, leaders who are going to be a gift are leaders who have a God-shaped and a God-sized vision. Moses had such a large vision given to him by God that a number of times he just said, no, thank you. How could I take a nation out of another nation? How could I cause them and, and bring them into this new land? It's, it's beyond unthinkable, not to mention the kind of leader the Pharaoh is. It's unthinkable. How could I get them into a new place? How could they get into a, a world that's, uh, that could cause flourishing? How could they get into that promised land? It's beyond me, God. I think that we ought to all be part of communities where there is a God-shaped and a God-sized vision where you're looking going, could we do it? About six or seven years ago, one of the things we felt like God said to us is he was calling us to fill our area, fill our part of the city with the life, the message, and the fame of Jesus, with people who live like Jesus. Not just fill our, our meetings with people, but fill our city with people who are filled with the message of Jesus, and consequently, the ways of God moving into the city. We believe God has called us to fill the city with the life, the message, the fame of Jesus, to, to bring the presence, formation, and mission of Jesus into the world. It's a very grand and scary vision that God would transform a group of people because we've been with Him, we are becoming like Him, and then we're loving the world like He calls us to love the world. A distinct community moving into the world to do something radical. We get to do it. That's our story. We've actually felt of late just that sense of the, the Spirit leading us into a couple of more specific senses. We are always harp on about presence, formation, mission. That's who we are. People with God, becoming like Him, being formed into His image, a people on mission, learning to love with the message and the mercy of Jesus. But we're actually feeling like there's a few little uh, nuances that God's adding, a few little specifics. Multiculturalism being one of them. We feel like God calling us not to be a reflection of uh, some political pressure, but becoming a people who are a reflection of the age to come. That where we live and who we are as a community becomes an increasing reflection of the cultural realities of the world to come. 
that we start to learn to love and push ourselves out of our boundaries of who we typically are relating to and inviting our friends from different cultures and different backgrounds and saying, we want to bend ourselves so that we reflect more and more the age to come. Secondly, not just multicultural, but multi-generational. I know we've got uh, eight-week-old babies, and I know we've got 88-year-old people, but you know what? We don't have a lot of 18 to 28-year-olds. And we feel faith in our hearts that God is calling us to start to build that, to start to, to put some uh, energy and some resourcing and to say, actually, how do we become a community that tries to uh, encapsulate all the generations that God's calling us to love and to reach? And then thirdly, we feel like God also leading us to increase our awareness and our expression of the gifts of the Spirit so that we can increasingly minister to each other. So that it's not one person stand on the stage, we all get it and we go home, but that we're learning to increasingly understand the gifts that God's put in our hands and to learn to minister to one another, whatever those multiple gifts may be. We've got a God-sized vision, and it's going to take a group of people who catch that God-sized vision. And by the way, we're so excited. We feel like so much of what we're trusting for is happening right under our very noses. It's actually happening. Thirdly, leadership is a gift when leaders have followers who follow joyfully. That's an interesting one, hey? Judges chapter 5, verse 2, it says something to this effect. I'll paraphrase it, but it simply says, when leaders lead... And followers follow, praise the Lord. That's a rare thing, actually. When leaders lead and followers follow joyfully, praise the Lord. Go read it. It speaks a little more uh, detail. It talks about when Israel, the people, the leaders of Israel re- lead, and the people volunteer themselves joyfully, praise the Lord. But it's something quite key to what it means to be in a flourishing experience of leadership. You could be a parent, and you know what it means. If your kids are going, yes, mom, I would love to help you out. The way that you asked me was fantastic, and helping you is an absolute treat. I would love to do all the dishes for the next three weeks. Wow, miracle. Who doesn't want good followership, right? And then to have the other kid going, wow, and that was such a good example from my sister. I too would like to wash those dishes. (laughs) Who doesn't want good followership? It is a gift to the world. That's a bit of a simple example, but think about it. Imagine your organization when you, when you bring a new idea, and, and it's a good one, and everyone agrees, but some people are a bit insecure, and they wish it was their idea. But they actually subdue their insecurities, and they go, brilliant, thank you. Maybe they're even honest enough to go, you, I wish I had great ideas like you, but I'm right behind you, and I want to do everything I can to make this thing a success. How many of us wish that the people in our world followed as joyfully as that? The scriptures are really clear. Jesus says, come, lead with me. In Mark chapter 1, no. Come, follow me. So much of the call of the New Testament is to follow. Leadership flies when followership happens. And by the way, I and, and in leadership, sometimes when you read the scriptures like Moses, you go, okay, cool. So let me just try to get this. Moses is the person who leads our church, and then he's got elders, and then those deacons. That's not it. That's not how this works. Moses was the leader. Jesus is our leader. Moses appointed some people to lead over thousands and and hundreds and fifties and tens. And you know what? We probably 
50s or hundreds. I don't know. Who cares? And I get to lead in a plurality of team who gets to keep me accountable. But that's not the primary thing is not who's at the top. It's who's following well. This uh, beginning of this year, part of my, my goals for 2021 was simply this. God, make me a better follower. Quite literally, I ask God to make me a better follower. Sometimes I struggle to just submit, to just say, you know what, that's a great idea, and to withhold uh, some of my own insecurities and to just move forward. And what I said this year is, God, teach me to make my leader's life a joy. I sit on a team of leaders who lead across the city in different congregations, and at times we need to find consensus. And I found myself more and more this year going, I am stubborn as a mule. And I need to learn to follow better. And I'm so glad I wrote it in my beginning of the year goals. I want to follow better. I want to make their lives a joy. I'm not, I'm not signing my brain away and letting them do silly things that are unbiblical. That's not, most of the time, it's about subduing my ego to make the vision work, to partner along. A couple of questions for you. Thinking of your life group, maybe. When last did you ask your life group leader how you could help them better make this group uh, an amazing experience? When last did we pray for our leaders? What ways are you shouldering some of the load with your leaders? Maybe the best place to start is to think of your life group leader. Ask the question, how could you be serving, encouraging, empowering? When leaders lead, Judges 5, when princes in Israel take the lead, and when people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord, says Judges 5. And then fourthly and finally, I'm quite excited about all this stuff. Leadership flourishes when there's a commissioned community. There's a commissioned community. We live in the age of the celebrity, the superstar. We want one person to stand up. And you know what? It's always been the case since the very beginning of the people of Israel. They said, give us a king and that'll save us. And God says, trust me, you don't want a king. You do not want a king. You'll get one or two good kings and then the rest are going to be duds. You don't want a king. There's one king who will lead you well. He is the Lord. And ultimately, because Israelite kings never delivered, God sent the one true king, Jesus Christ, to come, and he came to empower us. That's what happened in Pentecost. Jesus comes as heaven and earth true king. He lives the life we could never live. He dies the death we should have died. He resurrects, and he says, this is the age to come, and he pours out his spirit on all flesh, and he empowers everyone to live out the ministering of the gifts of the Spirit, to minister to one another. It is not about superstars who are going to save and fix it. It's about individuals all bandying together to lead with the gifts that God has given them. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says it like this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe you want to interrogate your mind and your expectations of life, of church, of organizations. How much of it do you expect one person to unleash, to open up the doors, to, to make it possible for your life to flourish? And, and how much pressure do you put on leaders to, to be the best, to, to, to make your life work? Because actually the scriptures more and more often say, submit to one another. 
Love one another. Take some initiative. There isn't one person who can fix you and solve all your problems. There is one. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are pretty flawed, and all we're going to do is try to point us back to the one who can fix everything and has ultimately started the restoration of all things. But for now, no leader will ever save you. There is only one. His name is Jesus. Let me give you an example. Four weeks ago, Fab, I'm going to put you on the spot. You don't have to stand up or dance or do anything. I'm just going to talk about you. I've got the privilege of baptizing Fab. It's been a beautiful journey of watching him faith come to life. And then Fab told me a little story of just how starting the week has been a bit of a challenge. And he's decided, and he messaged our whole life group. Sorry to share this. I should have asked you. Do you mind? Thank you. <laughs> and he tells us how... Basically, um, he, he wants to just start his week better, get on a better footing with God and, and just in his own soul. And so what he's doing is every Monday morning, he's going down to the beach, whether anyone joins him or not, and he is going to just spend some time in prayer and silence and solitude. Hooray. Love it. Stoked. No initiative from a life group leader, no life group guides, no nothing, just the work of the Spirit going, I need to do life better, and I want to pull some people along. So I can't make it for the first four weeks because it's school drop-offs and all sorts and such is life, but uh, I think the, the beginning rhythm of that is that Fab and Adrian start doing this, and a few others have, have joined in from time to time. So I get to go. School holidays, last week Monday, I pitch up to this amazing time of prayer. And I'm late, so they're already a bit annoyed with me, but they still let me in the group, and I pitch up and uh, sit with the guys, and I say, okay, so are we going to pray? They both look at me like, no. No, no, we're going to talk for a bit. Just want to hear from each other. Okay, sorry. So I sit there, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. We finish, and then there's this lovely, quiet silence as we're looking up at the mountain. Are we going to pray now? No. Shush, Roger. So I'm like, no, what am I? They didn't say shush. I'm saying shush to myself. Okay, what's next? No, now we're just going to be quiet and we're just going to reflect. Nice. I'm not in control. I might lead this church, but these guys are leading me. I loved it. We spent three or four minutes in silence, and God spoke to me in that moment. And it was so precious to feel in the presence of God. And then they said, let's pray. And I got to do what I was waiting to do. And we prayed for each other, and we encouraged one another, and we loved on each other, and we went home. And I just found myself going, that is leadership. That's the church. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I might get to lead some moments in this church and some aspects of this church, but we lead each other towards God. We get to call each other into the better day. We get to help each other be better friends, better parents, better Christ followers, better missionaries, better whatever it is, actually just to sometimes care for each other, to learn to pray for one another. And I really want to implore you today to stop waiting for someone to give you permission to do what God has already commissioned you to do. Stop waiting 
Just read your Bible. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You don't need to ask permission to do that. You don't need someone to send you a group guide. You don't need someone to tell you how to love someone. You don't need to ask someone how to invite them into a prayer time. You don't need someone to tell you to do that stuff. We get to do it. And I want to try, and maybe some of you are annoyed, but I want to rouse us out of our apathy. I want to rouse us out of our waiting for somebody to come and tell us to do something that the Scriptures and Jesus has said a billion times over, do it. Invite perspective. Have meals together. Love people far from God. Include them in your life. Stop waiting for someone to to call you to do something. Stop waiting for a program from the church. I'm calling us to initiative. I'm calling us to read the scriptures with the eyes of the spirit like Fab has and said, you know what? I need prayer and I need brothers and I need to start my week better and I need to see God in the front and the center of my week. So I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna pull others in because it makes sense in the spirit. Does that make sense to you? Sound good? I'm not cross. I'm really happy. But I am trying to call us today. I'm trying to ask us, how much have we just got into a rut waiting for the next task? Will you join this team? Will you do this thing? And that's our serve to Jesus when he has said the, the fields are white for harvest. The opportunities are amazing. The canvas is clear. Let's paint something glorious. Let's bear the image of God into the world. And let's not wait for the next program or idea to come from our pastors. Let's bring God to the world. Let's fill the city with the life, the message, and the fame of Jesus. Can I ask the band to come up? Maybe you can close your eyes. I want to give you a moment to reflect. Would you do that? Just take a moment. What holds you back from trusting? We get to a fork in the road in our minds often. Trust or cynicism? Would you choose today to trust? Trust others. Trust God. This is not a call to trust the elders primarily. Today is a call to trust Jesus primarily. And to trust Jesus in each other. How are you doing at trusting. Today, would you maybe take a step of saying, God, I'm sorry for my lack of trust. I'm sorry for my insecurities. Sorry, sometimes I want to be the center of the next best idea, or I want to lead the next team. And actually, today, I'm happy to just follow in that team. I'm okay to have a bit of obscurity from time to time. I'm happy to trust you. For others, maybe it's the initiative apathy conversation in your mind. Am I okay just sitting back watching? Or do I want to discover some of God's calling over my life, some of his God-given gifts for me to contribute in this church, from this church into the world, in your workplace, in your school, on the playground, in the lecture halls, wherever you find yourself, is it a space of you saying, I'm waiting for someone to tell me what to do next?
Or is it a case today of saying, Jesus, you've already given me a pretty clear mandate. Teach me how to take initiative. Teach me how to love like you love. For others, it may be just surrender. Surrendering ourselves to Jesus, saying, I'll trust you to lead me. Humble, gracious, and kind. I want to do a little exercise just as we, just as I'm praying, we're going to move into a time of worship and just as you, before you stand up, I want you to contemplate your standing. And I want to use your, I want you to use your standing as an opportunity to physically embody your moving towards Jesus, your trusting Him, your choosing to surrender yourself to His leadership, your initiative taking as you creak those knees and as you push off the chair and as you move towards singing, it's going to be a way of you saying, I am choosing not to sit but to stand, to be available. And so I'm not going to tell us when to stand. I'm going to ask you to reflect. The band are going to lead us. But as you stand, I want it to be a choice. I want you to think about your standing. I want it to symbolize something or some aspects of your life that as you stand, you are saying yes to this. You're saying farewell to that. Maybe it's farewell to apathy. It's yes to initiative. It's your decision. But as you stand, I want you to use your standing as an opportunity to respond to God. And as we sing... Let it fill your heart with a God-sized vision of who He is and what He's doing in the world. As we all live under His authority, accountable to each other, joyfully submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, the only true leader who has allowed our full allegiance because of His perfection. Jesus, as we worship, as we stand, we choose to stand with intentionality and to lead in any sphere we find ourselves with love as image bearers of the one true God. We love you dearly, Jesus. We love you. Let's sing.